Providing for your family is a top priority. But what happens when you need affordable health care? Christian Healthcare Ministries could save you up to 40% today. As a member, you can choose your provider without network restrictions. Sign up at your convenience with our anytime enrollment. Join a Christian community that supports each other's medical expenses, offering peace of mind as you prioritize what's most important. Enroll now at yourchm.org. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, January 9th, 2024. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Will presidential campaign speeches about the future of democracy that target African-American voters lift the president's cratered polling? It's going to be a billion-dollar effort of paid communications, of getting organizers to go door-to-door, of holding community meetings, of holding rallies. I'm Dana Perino. Are you sometimes finding it hard to feel calm and joy in a world that's so chaotic and often divisive? We talked to someone who believes he can help. I don't teach you how to meditation. I don't teach you anything. I just give a little bit of advice of what you turn into for no cost, other than maybe a deep breath. You turn into your own wisdom, your own creativity, full stop. And I'm Kennedy. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. 2024 began for the Biden campaign on the road, with the president giving speeches Friday in Pennsylvania and Monday in South Carolina. Friday, the president spoke from Valley Forge, a revolutionary war site, to ask if democracy is still America's sacred cause a day before January 6th, a day he said where, three years earlier, America nearly lost it all. Whether democracy is still America's sacred cause is the most urgent question of our time. And it's what the 2024 election is all about. And after the weekend, the president gave another speech, this time at the Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, mentioning white supremacy to a crowd gathered in the place where nearly nine years ago, a white man shot and killed nine black people during a Bible study. And for Joe Biden to decide to launch his campaign again in a very, a very dark, divisive manner where he, instead of running on his record to the point that uh, everybody's been making, he's again choosing to pick the democracy trope that he's been running on before. Now to Democrats, credit that did work in 20 and 22, but in 24, Biden now has a record he should be running on. Former Trump spokeswoman Erin Perrine told Fox News the president's poll numbers aren't just bad. The enthusiasm among his supporters is a critical issue and polling shows it. The president ended 2023 with the lowest approval rating of any modern day president running for re-election. Political analyst Teslin Figaro told Fox News. President Biden has to be able to convince his voters and to be honest with you, I don't know if it's enough time uh, to be able to talk to all of the different uh, people in his base who are disappointed with him on many, many things. And this is not me endorsing Trump. They're not interested in, in voting for Trump. They're interested in staying home. So are the speeches enough to persuade with some key demographics who, polling shows, aren't necessarily buying what the president is selling? I mean, I think it's important for President Biden to outline the stakes of the election. Tim Hogan is a Democratic campaign strategist and a former spokesperson for Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign. There is a clear and present threat, in his view, and among many voters, um, from Donald Trump. He tried to overturn the last election, and that threat is still there. It is the last presidential election we experienced. This is the first one we're having since January 6, 2021. And I think in some of the polling, in particular Washington Post poll last week, shows that 
a key margin of voters, whether it's 60% of independents or even 20% of Republicans view what Donald Trump did as an attempt to defraud the United States government and illegally overthrow the election. So it's critically important. A campaign is going to have a lot of different messages, but it does make sense for them to focus on this. Yes, you have to walk and chew gum at the same time. You have to talk about reproductive rights. You have to talk about the economy. But it would be a mistake to not talk about January 6th. You know, some of the latest polling, at least one of the latest polls shows issues with some key constituencies for the president. I know you've seen that USA Today Suffolk poll, 63 percent mm-hmm. of black support compared to 87 percent in 2020. Hispanic and young voters going for Trump over Biden by five and four points, respectively. I know that's just that one poll, but we've seen some other polling that seems to echo or have some similar hints. Is the is the point then of these speeches opening the year, you know, what with these constituencies? What What is he trying to do with these groups and these speeches? Well, I think one thing is we are still ostensibly having a GOP primary, right? Whether or not uh, Nikki mm. Haley and Ron DeSantis are actually going to be able to challenge Donald Trump effectively, we're going to know um, in a week. Uh, but the reality is he's hiding a little bit behind a smokescreen for some voters uh, of that GOP primary because Some GOP voters, some independents may think that there is some alternative that may emerge. I frankly think that uh, DeSantis, Haley may keep it closer than we're thinking. And Donald Trump may have to deal with an issue of underperformance, even if he squeaks by and grabs the nomination. But once it turns to a heads up match between Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump, that's when a lot of these issues that a lot of these key constituencies are focused on are going to be at the forefront. For reproductive rights, we've seen Democrats, independents turn out, even in ruby red states, to enshrine constitutional protections for abortion in their state constitutions. We've seen uh, Donald Trump on the issue of immigration talk about migrants crossing our border, poisoning our blood. He's going to have a large deportation force. We've seen him talk about the shooting in Perry, Iowa, and say, well, look, we need to move on. And Joe Biden today in South Carolina saying, no, we, we it's not something we can forget about. So once we get into the year of being able to stack up those issues and where the values are for each of those key constituencies, then I think they're going to have a much clearer choice between President Biden and Donald Trump. You know, notably, polling may, may be slipping among black voters for President Biden, but it's not like majorities are jumping over to support President Trump, right? Um, in, in the case of maybe younger voters or Latino voters, you are maybe seeing a little bit of that jump over to, to former President Trump, but not not in the in the black community, right? So what does the president then need to, to do to persuade them? Because it sounds like it, he, he needs to persuade them just to actually vote as opposed yeah. to just not vote. Yeah, I think the reality is is sometimes in a rematch when you have an incumbent president who's defeated the other guy and the other guy is, is coming back. We have to remind voters of of what the actual stakes are. And the reality is, too, a lot of voters aren't focusing on the election right now. We're getting into this place without getting too wonky, where you finally start to turn your polling from mm. registered voters to likely voters, meaning who are the people who are going to actually make up the electorate, who are going to actually get out and vote. And to your point, it is very important to mobilize that base and to get people out to vote. I would say I think the timing for the president, particularly on the economy, as it looks like we're starting to turn the corner, again, we're seeing record low unemployment, uh, good coverage in health care, record small businesses starting, and finally starting to see some 
some wages outpace inflation as inflation cools. It is a lot about timing. And it is a lot about getting key constituencies to tune into the election uh, and, and to see the stakes. So a lot of the coalition that makes up the Democratic base, I think once we get four or five months into the year here, they're going to be seeing a different story of this election of, yes, it is not maybe Donald Trump or Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis and Joe Biden. It is Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. And once that focus comes into uh, into clarity, it's easier to make a choice. One of President Biden's biggest supporters, as we all know, is South Carolina Representative Jim Clyburn. And he went on a Sunday show this past weekend between the two speeches. And he made the case, right, specifically to black voters, saying that the president's found a way to forgive billions of dollars in student loan debt, um, despite the Supreme Court decision, appointed the first black woman um, to the bench, to the Supreme Court bench, has appointed more black women to appellate courts than anyone, capped the cost of insulin. And the anchor then joked that Clyburn should be on the road for the president delivering the message. Is is that what this is? Because we've heard that from this White House also, that people aren't getting the message. Is is that it? Is, is it that people aren't getting the message? Or is there something else people are also worried about? I don't think it's necessarily that people aren't getting the message, but it's a good point because someone like Jim Clyburn is going to hit the road and deliver that message. I feel like for a while, strategists will say, well, it's early, it's early. But that is the reality. This campaign, it's going to be a billion dollar effort of paid communications, of getting organizers to go door to door, of holding community meetings, of holding rallies like the president did at Valley Forge um, at Mother Emanuel. And that then is the place where you're selling the president's record, 2.7 million jobs created, unemployment below 4% for 23 months in a row, uh, record small business boom, 15 million applications coming in. That is when people start to tune in. And it's also when people like uh, Representative Clyburn are going to be out there as surrogates selling the president's agenda. And I think you're just starting to see that ramp up now. What What about the, I, I think the president's age, I mean, look, look, he's not going to get any younger throughout the year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I wonder, as you as you look at polling where people are saying they're not feeling it for whatever reason, I see what you're saying. You're saying it's still early, right? And yeah. the, the polling's going to change. We're going to be talking to different people and it's it's going to shift. But what what isn't going to shift is his age. In fact, it's only he's only going to grow older. And that has been on the minds of voters even even now, even throughout the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, age is an immutable characteristic, but I would say <laughs> Donald Trump and Joe Biden would have gone to high school together. Right. It's not like we are electing uh, or have a choice to elect a president in their in their 50s. It's a rematch between a guy who's 77 and a guy who's 80. So, you know, I think there is that question. Ultimately, at the end of the day, a voter walking into a booth and saying age is my determining factor on how I'm going to vote. It can't go for either clearly Donald Trump or Joe Biden. They're they're two people who uh, are are so close in age. There's not a, a big difference there. And the chasm between the policies proposed by those two candidates is a big issue. I think mm. most elections, when you ask people about what they care about, what they go vote on, at the end of the day, it's not going to be age. Voters are forward-looking. They care about their future. So they do care about the policies that have been enacted and what the results have been from them, but they also care about where we're going as a country. And I think that's a lot of what you saw the president lay out in his speech is 
again, coming back to the existential question of our democracy is, are America's better days ahead of it? And if the answer is yes, if the answer is securing American democracy, then Joe Biden has a really clear case to sell. We've heard people throw it out there, right, this possibility of the president maybe not running, you know, mostly due to the age question. But now a J.P. Morgan analyst wrote in their predictions for this year that the president won't end up running due to a health issue, saying the DNC would choose a candidate, which I I don't think that's how it would work. But having a banking and investment analyst positing this possibility, what do you make of, of that? And does it take on does the whole conversation have new weight when you start hearing from people like that? I just don't think it's credible. There's a lot of mm. beltway banter about it. I think a lot of folks uh, inside of D.C., maybe at, at J.P. Morgan, this this uh, banker who's writing this have become obsessed with this question to this to the extent that it's just kind of navel gazing. It doesn't reflect reality. He's launched his reelection campaign. He is staffing up. He's holding campaign events. They are getting access to ballots. Ballot access deadlines have passed. Joe right. Biden's the nominee in 2024. And so I think that that question is closed even if people continue to ask about it, which I, I think it will fade uh, once this contrast between Trump and Biden comes into clear focus. But but he's the nominee, period. And, and, and that's not going to change. OK, finally, there's reporting that former President Obama is worried uh, that he told President Biden last month that he needs to get some more top level campaign staff or empower those already in those positions. Um, I'm not sure what to make of that. You're a campaign person, so maybe you, you get that more than I do. But it does sound like he's, I guess, expressing some concern. Is this Does this matter? Or as much as you, Tim, may love President Obama, would you tell him to mm-hmm. please be quiet? <laughs> no. I mean, look, these are they're, this is a very small club and group of people. They are presidents of the United States who are running for re-election. They have a close relationship. Joe Biden was Barack Obama's uh, vice president. They seek each other's counsel. I don't think one line or one snippet out of a private meeting really means anything. The president, the former president is going to be there to support Joe Biden in his reelection effort. He is a huge asset on the campaign trail. And we've seen a lot of action from the Biden campaign, adding people to their campaign, hiring staffs in battlegrounds, making sure that they have the organizing muscle that they've built through the DNC for a long period of time now, through his first four years. And I think that machine is starting to whir. The outreach is starting to happen and we can have confidence that President Biden's going to run a strong reelection campaign. Tim Hogan, Democratic strategist and worked with the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Amy Klobuchar campaign. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks so much. I'm Benjamin Hall, Fox News correspondent and New York Times bestselling author. Join me for my brand new podcast, Searching for Heroes. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. This is Kennedy with your Fox News commentary coming up. After the start of a new year, millions of Americans are making goals to live healthier. Whether it's losing weight, exercising more, or drinking less, improving your well-being is on people's minds right now. But healthier living is about more than resolutions and sticking to a diet. In a world that is divided and chaotic, it's also important to find calmness and address the anxiety and stress caused by everyday life. Ross Rayburn is the lead instructor of yoga and meditation for Peloton, and he believes the key to doing that is simply turning inward and learning the practice of introversion and self-exploration. 
Over the years, Ross has created an international following of students and fans that include professional athletes, politicians, CEOs, and TV personalities, and even me. But how does one become one of the world's most influential meditation and yoga instructors in the first place? Basically from 2007 till 2018, I spent most of my time outside of the States. I taught a lot in Europe, a lot in Asia. Russ Rayburn's new book is Turning Inward, The Practice of Introversion for a Calm, Joyful, Authentic Life. I had made a niche for myself teaching what yoga therapeutics, it's biomechanics basically, to help yoga teachers feel empowered when someone would walk in the room and say, my wrist hurts, or I've had a you know, a hip replacement, and wanted to help people know what to say. So I made, that was my niche, to teach teacher trainings all around the country. And Peloton called when they started a yoga and meditation department and said, hey, would you be willing to come off the road mm-hmm. and join the team? And it was you know one of the best decisions I've ever made. That was a leap. It was a leap. It was a leap of faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, It turned out to be a fortuitous leap of faith, especially given, you know, with the pandemic, obviously we didn't know at the time. Um, It was such a massive honor to be able to hold that kind of space for so many people that I now hear about that, you know, dealt with a lot of really intense things for Mm -hmm. that year and a half. What was it like to go from teaching people in a room with you to being by yourself in a room, talking to a camera to try to get people to do the poses in your head that you could used to be able to see them do, and now you have to talk them through it. Boy, you really nailed it. It was challenging. I love challenges, so it was, in a way, it was like learning to teach all over again. Um, I love beginner's mind, and it was forced beginner's mind um, to do exactly what you just said. I, I had the most wonderful experience. My meditation teacher, just to a little background. Mm-hmm. I hated meditation. I did it. I was teaching it. Why? Because you were fidgety? I was fidgety. My mind goes wild when I close also, my eyes. Sometimes you think, like, what's the point of this? I could be doing all my to-do list. Exactly. Mm-hmm. A- a- all of that. And But I knew I was supposed to be doing it. So therefore, I did it. And I was using other people's words and really felt like a fraud. And honestly, was a fraud. And then or I, I would, or you know, more like imposter syndrome. It right? was imposter syndrome. Okay. That's the perfect, that's the much el- more elegant way to say it. Yeah, you're, it. Not, you're not a fraud. We all are doing it at some, at yeah. some level. <laughs> and I just know that my, my fear, I, want, I love people, I love to serve, and I want to be doing it authentically. So I luckily met a woman named Sally Kimpton who just passed last year. Um, and she's very much like Obi-Wan. She's more powerful now, I think, than she was before. Um, she happened to be in New York when I started teaching on Peloton and she came over for lunch and she said, well, let's do one of your meditations, which was terrifying. Um, to That's sit- like asking me to watch myself on TV. Like I'd rather crawl under the table and die. I, I can't do it. With your teacher sitting yeah. next no, to you. No, thank you. And she, I, I, I think I say this in the book, even like in her sublime simplicity, turned to me afterward and said, you know, just meditate. She had taught me how to enjoy meditation. Um, she taught me that I was always doing it in other ways. I just didn't call it meditation. And that opened the door for me to understand it. And she said, just trust that if you drop in, if you do your thing, people will get it. Mm-hmm. And they, you don't need them to be in the room. You have to trust that you're just the guide. It's, it's their, their, what they have inside. This is why I called the book Turning Inward. Because 
I don't teach you how to meditation. I don't teach you anything. I just give a little bit of advice of what you turn into for no cost, other than maybe a deep breath. You turn into your own wisdom, your own creativity, full stop. Mm -hmm. In the book, you talk about that there's a teaching that there are four winds that send our mind out of the present moment. Mm. Nostalgia, regret, anxiety, and hope. The reason I marked this in particular is because when I do have a few days off in a row, which is rare, but when we do get that, there comes a moment when I do feel like I can live fully in the present. And I find that serenity such a gift. Mm. And I feel like God gives you these little moments of serenity in your life. But when I read that, nostalgia, regret, anxiety, and hope. I was like, that is it? That's it. And you talk about how to recognize that and to figure out a way to harness that to to help you the best. Can you explain a little bit more? Well, first of all, that is one of my favorite parts of the book. I often find um, whenever I talk about the book, if someone kind of makes a guttural, hmm, (laughs) that's usually my signal that, oh, this worked, this something landed. Mm -hmm. And I often get that when when I talk about this, the the four non-present states. First, I like to be very real because so much of this can come across as Mm woo-woo. And even though I go woo-woo a lot, I'm also a very, very, very normal person. I try to be. And... The book is is written for people like me who hated meditation, who don't think they can do it. It's a book that says, you're already doing it. You may not call it meditation, but it's it's already happening. We love binaries. And whenever we create a binary like present and non-present states, it's so easy to vilify the non-present. People lionize the present and vilify the non-present. So the first thing I like to do is to tear that binary down and... And that's why at least two of those are positive, hopes or dreams versus anxieties and nostalgia versus regret. All of them to some degree have appropriateness and place and value. So to put value in the non-present and put value in the present and then just recognize, that's really the key. If you just simply recognize either during or after I just had a moment of nostalgia. I just had a moment of regret. I just had a moment of presence. That that's how you string them together. That that's how they become habitual mm-hmm. and and have utility. And that's really what I care about, which is n- not the joy and peace and authenticity that comes from being present is great. But your our capacity to then take that power of being present and use it to find a solution when everybody else is cursing the darkness, to speak less abrasively, more persuasively, to do all those things that we actually all want to do no matter who we are, that to me is what's mm-hmm. cool about these four, these four things. One of the things that you write about is something that concerns a lot of people, and that is the polarization in the country from either political or cultural or ideological reasons. And this is a year where there's going to be a lot of that as a potential in 2024 in an election year, but I don't think that this is confined to election years anymore. This is happening constantly. And people don't necessarily want it in their lives, but it's there, they're aware of it, and they're concerned about it. What is your advice to people wanting to make sure they can keep calm and joyful even in an election year? 
Well, certain, I, I like to always joke uh, certain questions are above my pay grade. Our ability to navigate difficulty is part of what I do or what I like to strive to do. I think my best advice is a little bit of a paradox, a little bit of a pushback on the question of discord, that difficulty is always bad. Um, I don't know about you, but I, some of the most profound moments, the most actually even joyful growth moments in my life have come from pain and suffering. I sometimes I'll even say to people, if I could give you a pill, like right now, Dana, mm-hmm. if I give you a pill where you it's would not have, the Joe Rogan podcast, but. Where, if you <laughs> <laughs> if you could have no more pain, no more suffering mm-hmm. for the rest of your life, would you take it? Good question. What's your answer? No. And me too. It's so interesting because I just finished a big sweeping novel yesterday. Mm, it was a big World War II. Oh my gosh, the pain and the agony that these people went through from Hungary who were conscripted into the service. And I told my husband, I'm never going to complain about something again. And I felt very heavy through mm. the day. But if you don't ever have those feelings, you can't have the contrast. Exactly. And listen, and I don't want to be cavalier about pain and suffering. My first bit of advice is step back from trying to have none of it, except that it is a part of of life. Here's the paradox. Looking inside is actually an aerial view. There is something, the nebulousness of looking within is kind of like the, my favorite word, perspicacity, is like the ability to rise above and see patterns from an eagle-eye view. And that has agency, you know, in a time when we don't feel like we can necessarily, as individuals, do Mm -hmm. a lot. That has, it's empowering, it has utility. And it again, when you see patterns, you might be the person that comes up with the solution that no one else sees. Well, the book is wonderful. I'm so glad we had the conversation and that we could bring it to so many people who listen to the Fox News Rundown. Perhaps we end, and I'm trying to find it here, and maybe I don't need to find it for you, but I was wondering if you want to provide the blessing here for our listeners. And do you know where it is in the book? Yeah, it is. It's at the end of the epilogue. Here it is. May you always remember your true self as an infinite source of love and grace. May you always remember that it is your birthright to live your truth. May you always remember that the vicissitudes of the world can never extinguish your inner peace. And may you always remember that you are filled with the fortitude and the power to continually become more of who you already are. That's beautiful. Congratulations on the book. Thank you so much. I'm Gianna Jalosi with your Fox True Crime Minute. A missing teenager from North Carolina has been found concealed beneath a trap door hidden under a rug inside a Kentucky man's home. According to a criminal complaint, the 16-year-old disappeared in early December and was found by the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office deputies on Christmas. The mother of 34-year-old Zachary Keith Jones called police to report a domestic dispute between her son and his alleged girlfriend. When police got to the home 60 miles southwest of Lexington, Kentucky, Jones claimed the woman wasn't there, but officers restrained him in a cruiser after 
after seeing drug paraphernalia in plain sight. And when they looked around, they found that missing girl behind a trap door hidden under the rug in a bedroom. The girl says she met Jones online. He claimed to be 19, but she realized that was not the case when he picked her up from her grandma's house in North Carolina. Jones admitted to doing drugs and having sex with the teenager. He's facing rape, felony assault, felony strangulation, sodomy, unlawful transaction with a minor, unlawful imprisonment, and various drug charges. There's more on this story at foxnews.com. Subscribe to the Fox True Crime Podcast with Emily Campagno. I'm Gianna Gelosi with your Fox True Crime Minute. You know him, you love him from his radio show. I know. I can't believe they gave me a show either. Now, Jimmy Fallon is coming to Fox News on Saturday night. Look, I'm not here on behalf of either party. I just want to have a party. Now, that's what I'm talking about. So grab a frosty mug, pour yourself a beverage, and join me for the all-new Fox News Saturday Night with Jimmy Fallon. Fox News Saturday Night with Jimmy Fallon. Premieres Saturday, January 13th at 10 p.m. Eastern. Only on the Fox News Channel. Saturdays just got a whole lot funnier. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Kennedy, what's on your mind? So there's a new trend on TikTok. Maybe you've heard of it. The stay-at-home girlfriend. You're like, hmm, what is that? Well, it turns out it's the world's oldest trend. Like with every other Gen Z and millennial trend, this younger generation thinks that they invented something brand new when actually... It's good old-fashioned prostitution that's been around for millennia. The deal is, hot young women move in with their boyfriends. They're not married. The guy pays for everything. And they brag about having a charmed influencer life as stay-at-home girlfriends. But here's the problem. Other than maybe scraping together a few nickels on OnlyFans or somehow monetizing their quote-unquote work, uh, they pretty much are beholden to their boyfriends who have not yet put a ring on it. So what's the problem with that? Well, nothing if it's something that you engage in for just a couple of short years. But as the Wall Street Journal and New York Post have pointed out, it's very difficult to achieve your own financial independence, necessary independence, when someone else is paying all of your bills. Because if you're not married, if you're just shacking up, you have no legal recourse and no way of splitting any assets that have been acquired during your very informal union. Is that why you should be with someone? Because of the money? I mean, in my opinion, no, but I'm not one to live your life, and I certainly wouldn't want to live a life where I was seen as a disposable asset, a commodity only to be discarded when my boyfriend got bored of me, when he came home and had absolutely nothing to talk to me about because my day is so vapid and boring. There's no man in the world who wants to sit around for two hours and listen to their girlfriend drone on and on about moisturizers when he's been at the office. Believe it or not, relationships are best when two people challenge each other and they both have work and interests that are similar and different from each other. So when they come together, they have something to talk about, not just Hey, baby, can you give me some more money to pay my credit card? So if you're thinking about being a stay-at-home girlfriend, why don't you be a go-to-work lady boss and try and earn some of your own money so when you do finally settle down with the man of your dreams, you will be your own dream girl because you will have secured your future so you can make all the choices you want 
on your own terms. Sure, it takes a lot more work, but in the end, you'll be a lot better off for it. Trust me and thank me when you have your own fat bank account. I'm Kennedy, host of the Kennedy Saves the World podcast. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. 